When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot, fast, and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. No algorithm has ever jammed out to its favorite song, dreamed of starting a band, or watched its favorite movie a hundred times, or even watched a single movie for that matter, which is why an algorithm has no business picking the films that you watch. Mubi is a curated online cinema streaming exceptional films from around the world. Each day, they introduce a new hand-picked gem, and you have one month to watch it. Whether it's a forgotten classic, a festival darling, or a groundbreaking masterpiece, every single film is hand-selected by experts. Try Mubi for free. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash words. And you will love this thing. This has changed my life in the most positive way. You get amazing cinema. So, such good stuff. That, like... I love movies, and it shows me stuff that I'm like, yo, I've never even heard of this. And I watch it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. So please, 30 days for free, Mubi.com, M-U-B-I.com slash words, 30 days for free. All right, now on to the show. Hey, hello, everybody. It's Ray Harkins, and you're listening to 100 Words or Less, the podcast. We're hanging out, talking independent music, whether it's punk, hardcore, indie rock, whatever genre you like. We probably cover in some capacity, as long as it's of the independent variety. And today is, of course, no exception, because if it was an exception, I would be breaking my own rules, which would make me a liar, and I wouldn't expect you to listen to the show anyways. You like that? That's like, I felt like I just did some algebra right there. Dave Walker. Dave Walker is the vocalist for Harvest, which is, uh, in my opinion, a legendary 90s hardcore band that, uh, you know, resurfaced in the uh, aughts. When they put out a 7-inch, and he also sang for a band called Season of Fire, which is where I ran into him, and then he also participated in a ton of other projects, uh, namely Krakatoa. That was a spectacular band that uh, he did. Well, I would call it Project because it was uh, in the studio. I, I They might have played one show. I can't recall, but Dave is uh man he's just a lifelong friend like we met in the early 2000s and you know i'll we'll discuss this at the very beginning of the episode but we just became fast friends and he's one of those people where i might not see him for a couple years and then we run into each other and it's just it's like slipping right into an old pair of comfortable shoes so and that's the beauty of independent music i just love that but let's let's get some business pleasantries out of the way NoEcho.net. Are you reading that website? Are you consuming the cool content they have on that website? You should. I do. 
I love that website. They uh, Carlos does a great job with making sure that he covers all things punk and hardcore and um, yeah, aggressive music related. He actually just did a really, really in-depth interview with uh, one of the members of Uniform Choice and Unity. It was a great look through the prism of uh, early 80s hardcore here in Orange County, California, and I, I loved it because both of those bands were pretty influential to me as I started to get into punk and hardcore. But um, yeah, visit the website, please, noecho.net. Perfect, perfect combination with this podcast and that website. And what else I got to tell you? Well, I went to a ton of shows this past week. I saw my good friends in Touche Amore play a uh, pretty close to sold out show with uh, City of Caterpillar and Thou. And that show was awesome. Like all these shows were just really life giving <laughs> because, uh, you know, sometimes if you go to too many shows, it, uh, you know, it becomes rote and it becomes maybe a little less special. So then when you, you know, maybe make yourself scarce because, you know, clearly as you grow older, you have more responsibilities. And now when I go to a show, I feel, uh, I don't know, just this tickle in the back of my head where it's just like, I decided to be here. This is intentional. This is not me just finding something to do on a Friday night or whatever. And then I also saw my good friends in Pianos Become the Teeth, and they were inspirational. And uh, they played they played with Me Without You, which uh, I eventually will have someone on, from that band on this show because, uh, yeah, I just love that band. But I did two shows that night, and I saw my friends in Mooseblood play, and uh, all those shows were just, just great. Just, like I said, soul-filling. I love that. So I hope you find some soul-filling shows in the near future. And, um, yeah, that's all I got. So... Here is my discussion with Dave Walker. Gets a little gets a little misty towards the middle because we uh, we talk about some stuff that's um, yeah just really inspirational, and I uh, I really appreciated Dave coming on the show. So here is him. Here is him. Here's he. There we go. <laughs> here he is, and I will talk to you after the episode. Correct me if I'm wrong, but we first met when we toured together, when up in Canada, correct? Like, to your recollection? Yeah, that's that's right, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, we toured together, Taken and Season Season of Fire, and, you know, I I had no preconceived notions of you beyond the fact that, you know, I enjoyed, you know, Harvest, Krakatoa, like, all the musical projects that you were involved in, Um, but it, it... and this, to me, this is the beauty of, you know, punk and hardcore and independent music where it's like, you know, you and I were aware of each other because of our mutual, you know, friendship with Chris Logan. And then, you know, upon the first day of meeting each other, we were just like, oh, yeah, like, so we're we're like totally friends immediately. Like, it took us like yep. five, <laughs> five minutes to dive into that. And then you were even so kind as to have an old Harvest shirt for me, which I was like what the and like i just remember telling logan where i was like oh yeah i love harvest i'm so excited that you're working with season of fire blah 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 and then you know you bring me a a harvest shirt anyways there's it's all tied up in the fact that that's incredibly thoughtful dave like and the fact that i still remember it you know whatever 15 years later is meaningful and like was that is that sort of um i guess instant connectivity um, you know, uh, part and parcel of your experience within, you know, kind of music and this music scene. And I guess the second component of that is the fact that, you know, that was an incredibly thoughtful thing to do, even though it's, you know, small potatoes, just giving a t-shirt to somebody. But that's a, you know, were you always kind of that thoughtful? <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, I probably have become more thoughtful in my, as I advance in the years, but uh, I would say, um, you know, I, I think I think friendships to me are are really valuable and precious, and I I never like I never want to sell them short, and and I never and I've had so many friends come and go, and I would say too that after harvest. I like disbanded in 99 and it was, it was, it was mainly me like saying that, like I had some other things going on in my life that, that were going to take priority and the other guys wanted to go ahead. And that's a whole nother conversation. But the, the point being is that I lost a lot of friends at that time too. So by not, by, by, by me letting go of harvest, it, I really let go of a lot of people. And it was really a way of my sort of like, it, it sort of weeded out those people who are going to be my friends for my life and, or, and my friends who were, who were, who were there only when I was in a band. So I wasn't Dave from Harvest, but I was, I was Dave Walker at that time. And so then it was sort of an interesting thing. And I, I think, I think anybody who's been in a band that's, that's had some notoriety, whatever it may be, kind of goes through that. There's like the fans, there's like the people who, who like you because you're in the band and, and then there's the people who just like you, hopefully, for who you are as a person, not because you're in a band. It doesn't, to me, it was never a thing. I was just like, this is a band I do because I enjoy it, and that's all it is, and it's a punk band. And, and uh, you know, things nowadays are much different, and there's, there's this term called super fan, and those funny things, but I digress wholeheartedly. But anyway, point being is, especially since that point when I really realized that, like, there were a lot of people there for during those during the nineties with me and a lot of those people just didn't want to like talk to me anymore or, or just like hang out anymore. Even though I'm the same exact person, I, I believe the exact same thing. That was, you know, whatever it might be. I, I just don't, for whatever reason, it, it just, it just up and left. So it was, it was, a, it was an interesting time and for me. And so I, um, it made me a little bitter at the time, of course, because I was like, what, why? what's, what's wrong with me? Like, you know, and, and, uh, so I went through my own little bits, but, um, you know, but I really realized that like, you know, for those people who you met, who you meet, who you feel really genuine about, um, you know, I was going to hold on to those and, and you're one of those people. And Chris is one of those people. And I mean, those, you know, um, that's just, and I, and I, so I, so I say that from the time that I met you, that was where I was coming from. That was a place where I was, but I think all my life, you know, I haven't had like a ton of friends. So, um, you know, I was, you know, wasn't popular in high school, wasn't, wasn't just popular in general. So I, I just like, I mean, I think a lot, I think a lot of people who, who, uh, grew up in punk, uh, and hardcore, like, weren't popular kids like right, right. usually were the kids you got you know i got i, I got friend a lot called a, a, um the term faggot or, or whatever you want to call it but off, often in, in high school and and things like that and, and kids wanted to you know potentially hurt me or whatever it is and um you know just i was an outcast and all this stuff uh you know at certain times certain phases i was in um so yeah i you know it was, uh, I didn't, ha- I've never had a lot of friends and, and those I've had have been very dear to me. And then in Harvest, like I thought, you know, it was just a weird time. So 
Um, anyway, long story short, and very convoluted way of telling you that, uh, yeah, I, I hold friendships really close and very dear to me. And, right. And, uh, yeah, and I appreciate yours. Well, I'm, I'm glad, and I appreciate yours. But, I, I, re- I mean, I really appreciate that, um, the layout of it, because I think, you know, the, a thread I wanted to pull on in there was the fact that I think that, you know, the uh, the connection of people with, uh, you know, bands, and then obviously, like you said, people want to know you because, you know, you're Dave Walker from Harvest. And like once the, you know, the sort of, um, you know, idolatry, even though, you know, there's, it's such on a small level on our scene where, but there's still some of that where you're just like, Oh wow, this person's on a stage. Like they must be cool. So like, I want to know them. There's a, you know, that I believe it's kind of hardwired in our DNA and we have to, you know, push it away and unlearn that, (laughs) that looking up to aspect of it. But I, I really totally, like, yeah. I, yeah, I really like the fact that you're, you know, you were cognizant of the fact that so many people peeled away from you because you weren't that person anymore. You weren't Dave Walker from Harvest. You were, like you said, just Dave Walker. And I think a lot of people struggle with that when they go from, you know, one musical project to another or just, you know, don't contribute in the same way that they, you know, once had when they were in a band or whatever. It's like, you know, do you actually like me for me or just because I got a on stage and have a dumb microphone in my hand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. I think it was uh, very interesting. The last, the last kind of like little tour we had done too. It was, it was cool. Cause it was really about those people who I, I think it was, it was, it was really fun because that last thing we did and it was 2012. We did about that 16 or 17 shows in a small, like, and we went on, we actually, I mean, it was a legitimate East Coast tour and like, it, you know, that was that many shows in one chunk every night. And, um, and those people who came out to that were really like core people. Like they, they really showed up and they, they, they were like, um, a lot of people I have, you know, kept in touch with over the years and or who, who, who really valued um, you know, being connected and, and even if it was through the music, but they, they weren't just, I don't know. It it was really great seeing it and not all, and all the shows were, were, were really low key and for the most part, very small and, and, uh, and and really like intimate. And and I think that there's nothing better than that. Um, these grand shows are, or whatever these big, big events and stuff like that are sort of, displace you in the way and, and again and I think make it harder for people to to talk um, and so I think that these smaller like you know doing a doing a tour that's really really small and focused and, and especially since like people haven't listened to us in 20 years so of course it's going to be geriatric style in there so right. um, anyway so whatever yeah, I'm, no, I'm no, just no. saying no, I li- I li- I, but very I li- intimate yeah I, li- I like that mentality I totally understand where you're coming from um, so, you know, kind of bringing you back to, you know, your, uh, your origin story, as it were, uh, you know, you were born and raised in the Minneapolis area, correct? So I was, uh, yeah, so I was born in Southern Minnesota in a town called Northfield. Um, we lived in the country. Um, my father was a professor, of, uh, at a college. Um, and, uh, and then I, but I did spend a good chunk of my life in uh, Southern California too um, and that's where my grandmother uh, lived and my father was originally from there so he spent his childhood there in Long Beach 
And so I spent a great deal of time, Seal Beach, Huntington Beach, Long Beach, um, uh, growing up. And it was just part of my childhood. So we would like literally go there every year or every other year, uh, like clockwork, um, in the wintertime. My, my father had sabbatical. Um, they wrote, they must've written some crazy notes to my uh, school because they, they would stay for like a month, right. <laughs> month and mo- month or longer. I don't know how that all worked and now having a child and like realizing that like, yeah, that, that shit doesn't fly, you know, like, yeah. um, so I can't even imagine, you know, um, the, the slack, the, you know, the slack we would get for, for taking our son out of uh, kindergarten now for a month's time. But anyway, yeah. that, all that aside, uh, that, so, <clears throat> Uh, so I was kind of like raised in both, uh, you know, I spent majority of my time was in Southern Minnesota, but a lot of my, uh, winters and some of my summers were spent in Long Beach, California. So it was kind of cool. Like I had very, this very urban side of my life. And then the other side was the polar opposite. So we had a hobby farm. Um, I called, you know, my father had the summers off. So we, we were just like gardening all the time and just doing that stuff, that sort of thing. And I, you know, my jobs growing up were picking rock out of fields. Um, bailing hay, um, you know, uh, I worked at a, like a pea packing plant, uh, a, a canning factory, glass factory, right. um, just, you know, like really some pretty raw shit. Like, and that's just, you know, how it was. And those, those were the jobs that were available yeah. there. And so that's, that was sort of my, uh, that was sort of my deal just all through high school. And then, uh, Yeah. That's no, that's, um, but I, it's cool. I like yeah. I like how you're talking about the you know the juxtaposition of the two um, you know exposures because I do believe people that only um, experience one of those and don't understand you know what the rural living is. Um, not to say that you know every summer you have to go out and like farm in the middle you know in the Midwest or something, but you know to at least visit a town that is you know the proverbial one stoplight town or whatever. It just you know, it rounds you off as a person. And I think, you know, the, the flip side where, you know, <laughs> if you get stuck in a rural area and you never experience like the quote unquote big city, you know, you're just like, Oh yeah, those are where all the, you know, crazy people live. <laughs> and it's yeah, like, exactly. exactly uh, but it's cool that you have that, that balanced perspective. It was definitely, uh, it was definitely interesting. And so, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I would like segue this into like how, so California was where my father was from. He, he, I have a half brother and half sister and both, both at the time when I was growing up lived in, uh, uh, Walnut Creek or outside, uh, they, they were growing up there and then, then moved into San Francisco proper into the Bay area. And so when I was eight or nine years old, um, my half brother came to visit. So they lived out there and my, I lived, I was, I'm the only child for my current parents, but my parents were present, but, um, anyway point being is they my brother got into punk out there and he's 10 years my senior so he's now 54 um and he is uh he or he was at the time um getting into like you know heavily influenced into that into that scene of punk in the late 70s early 80s and so that's so he would come and visit us every now and then and and uh bring me records and so that's like at a very young age. So I think my first record was eight or nine. It was called Dead Kennedys, a skateboard party. And uh, it was just this like single thing, but it was, I w- I'll just play it over and over and over again. And he would mention these other bands like uh, Anti-Sect, Throbbing Gristle, Wire, um, 
And these, you know, these at the time that they're the, were the were the really big bands. Um, yes, the Kennedys were huge too out there, but um, they weren't even like as big at the time. They're, they're they seem almost bigger now than than a band that than than uh, they were at that at that moment. But uh, in time, but uh, so he was anyway giving me these things, and so that was kind of my indoctrination into that into that world. Although. Uh, I was also even I was evenly distributed with my with my love of, of uh, just heavy music in general of what I could get my hands on, which was the more mainstream stuff like, um, which was Ozzy and, and uh, Metallica and, and stuff like that. And and uh, I, I love what um, your interview with Chris uh, you, you did um, because he mentions the Columbia cassettes, and that was a huge thing uh, for me too. And I, I remember I remember getting all those cassettes and. Uh, in the uh, in the mail and things like that, and so that was a, a great way when you're living in a rural environment to uh, expose yourself very quickly to a bunch of new interesting stuff. And sometimes you you know there's a lot of misses in there too. So, but it only it only costs a penny, right? So. Yeah, it's like you, you, yeah, there's, there's there's no risk whatsoever. You can, <laughs> you can you can take swings and misses all day long on that until they tack you with the you know 17.95 shipping and ha- handling <laughs> on some of that stuff. Where you're like, I know. Oh no, that's that's where they get you. But the, yeah, and seventeen ninety five when you're eleven years old is a shitload of money. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're you're bankrupt at that point. <laughs> you you got to work yeah, for like three months to get that off. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small. Like man, that parking space—it's always taken, and I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of you know this person that maybe you know is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. <laughs> 
That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Envy's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Oh. Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. Oh boy, today's episode is brought to you by Audible, and they are bringing listeners the world's largest selection of audiobooks and original audio entertainment. Did you know that audiobooks are eligible for Grammy consideration in the best spoken word album category? I didn't know that. Thank you, Audible, for letting me know. And they have unbelievable performances from Trevor Noah, Kevin Hart, and Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale. Now, I have dove in to I Can't Make This Up by Kevin Hart. He's one of my favorite comedians, and his book kills it. He is so funny. It's just to hear – basically, you feel like you're hanging out with Kevin Hart for you know six, seven hours. It's amazing because the intimacy that it creates is so, so good. And so please, trust me, you can listen to that or you can listen to Trevor Noah's book or, like I said, The Handmaid's Tale. Who hasn't read or listened to or wanted to consume The Handmaid's Tale? Their Audible wants to make it easy for you. So please – Go listen with a 30-day free trial, audible.com slash 100 words. That's the number, 100 words spelled out. That's audible.com slash 100 words to start your free 30-day trial right now. Thanks, Audible. You're the best. Good luck with those Grammys. All right, now on with the show. There was something that I, I found interesting because, you know, I, w- I was familiar with your, you know, the, the story of, like you said, your, your half-brother being able to introduce you to this stuff, but the music that you're mentioning um yeah like dude i can't even imagine my head wrapping around throbbing gristle at nine years old like how how did you even find space in your head for that because i mean that like even as a 36 year old adult now i can listen to throbbing gristle and be like oh yeah i see where they're coming from but like if i was nine i would be like oh that doesn't make any sense like this is terrifying or whatever you know oh yeah no no i i it was sort of incomprehensible a lot of the stuff he gave me i would just be like what the fuck is that like (laughs) i can't even I don't like, but I mean, I was fascinated by it, you know? I mean, and a lot of times it took me a while to sort of like lean that way. And like, it took me into my like early teens to sort of like start to appreciate some of the things that he was giving me. Dead Kennedys were pretty like, you know, they were tame of my, of the things that I listed off. But if you listen to a band like, like anti-sect from England blew me away. They were like, what, you know, and septic death, for instance, too. Another one, like, you're like, what, what is this? Like, I can't, what is he saying? You know, like, and a lot of those bands, they're, they're incomprehensible. Um, and so there was, there's that. And then as a young, you know, a child with the Iron Maiden, you know, where, where Bruce Dickinson's voice, there's like, it couldn't be any more crystal clear uh, going into that, like, sort of like that grungy thing or, or going into this, this growl guttural thing. And, and you're like, oh, I, I don't even know. I, I, my hands are tied. Like I just, so I would, of course, like I'd probably lean, you know, I, I, it was great because it built an awareness of it, but my appreciation for like, you know, the master of puppets record was probably far greater than, yeah then my appreciation of like some of that early punk stuff so sure yeah that that no that makes sense that's cool i i, I just like a 
I, I definitely think there's a certain age in which you are, you know, ready for certain things and not even so much like, oh, wow, you, you know, people are really mature if they're getting into like, you know, more aggressive or complicated music. But it's just like, you know, sometimes if you get introduced to a neurosis too early, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that band sucks. And then 10 years later, you're like, what was I doing? They're incredible or whatever, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm still wrapping my head around that one. Yeah. Like, I can't even. Yeah, totally. Yeah. totally. It's like, who, who knows? Mastodon? Well, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry, but like, I still don't get it. And right. then, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm, you know, I'm still five Converge records back. You know, I don't know. Like, sometimes, I, you know. Yeah, it takes you a while to warm up to stuff. I get it. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. I mean, I love Converge, but like, yeah, I mean, they're over the, they, yeah, they're, they're incredible musicians. It's just a thing. Like, I'm not a musician in the way, like, in the sense, like, I, I can appreciate some of that stuff, but I, I can't, it's not everything for me. So uh, some of the, some of the, like, musicianships, I don't, I, I, I can't, can't geek out about some of that stuff. I just don't have it in me. So right. I've, uh, I, I like certain things. I know I like, you know, the balalaika and the accordion and stuff like that. So, right. But when it gets into like, you know, <laughs> I don't get into I can't dirt out about, you know, uh, yeah, shred, sh- shredding, know, how shredding, many, shredding, how, right, shredding stuff or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um, and so anyway, like I mean, like you mentioned the, um, you know, previously where you know you're like. You, you weren't a popular kid as you were going through school and that sort of stuff. Like, you know, the, um, you know, I don't want to typify the experience of, you know, most people that are into punk and hardcore, um, you know, cause you, you're, you know, older than me. So technically you are part of a, you know, different class, <laughs> a graduating class of, you know, the punk and hardcore kids <laughs> to where it's like, you know, like, even though I was still weird in school, people still kind of gave me, you know, enough room to, you know, be the weird guy, but then also not like treat me like a complete alien. Um, whereas I'm sure you also grew up in Southern California. So that helps too. I, that's true. That's a good point. Um, but so, you know, what kind of kid did you find yourself being as you started to, you know, develop an identity and, and start to be, uh, you know, a human being with uh, own choices in, uh, you know, in high school, like, were you, you know, did you like attempt to be outgoing or were you just like naturally reclusive and like, you know, what were you kind of drawn to? Um, so I was an only child, so I was pretty, you know, independent in a, in a way. Um, so I wouldn't say I was reclusive at all. I just was, but I was a little bit more shy, I would, I would say. But then there was a part of me that was like really into being an extra, like so an introverted extrovert type thing. Um, I, I guess, so there was this like balance. I, I would have to find this nice balance. So, but I was not uh, trying to be different in a way that was like, I hate everything and I'm going to be different. It was just like, I just liked what I liked and it just didn't so happen to be that many people liked that stuff. And part of it was going to California. I learned how to skateboard when I was really young. And I mean, who, you know, if you're a youth in California, it's, it's summer, like all year round, you, you, I gravitated more towards that style, that lifestyle. I just really liked it and appreciated it. So I was the only one in my grade I knew of who was who had a skateboard. And again, mind you, this is the mid eighties. So like, um, you know, in junior high school, I'm, you know, I'm the only kid with a skateboard. I'm, you know, and slowly, but surely I started to make friends with like younger people as I was getting older and, and, and into like, like sort of the senior year of high school and stuff. And then skateboarding was becoming a little more popular, but again, only a handful of people that was like, you know, I can count maybe 10. 
Um, you know, and, and it was a fairly, you know, it was a larger town that we were. And so that wasn't that many people. So it was, you know, it was definitely, definitely hard, but it was kind of cool. Cause I kind of like felt this, like, there's just sort of like that punk mentality with skateboarding that, that kind of went hand in hand. And, and, uh, and, and a lot of us supported each other in, in different ways that we could and stuff like that. But, uh, um, but I was okay. I mean, I was on tennis. I played tennis. I, I played some baseball. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed certain things, uh, for a while. And, and, you know, I give, I, you know, I, I really, I really liked tennis a lot. That was, uh, that was fun. So I was tennis and then I'd go skateboarding after tennis practice. Um, nice, nice. and, and, uh, yeah, so I, w- I was in theater. Um, I was Charlie Sheen's character in the, uh, we did, uh, we did back to back. We did a double feature in the theater. We did, um, Breakfast Club and then, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh. I was Charlie Sheen's character in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's amazing. There's some incrimin, there's some really great incriminating photos out there of me and that. And then, uh, <laughs> uh, drugs. Are you into drugs? Right. Are you here for drugs? I guess that's the line. <laughs> it was yeah. really good. Yeah, that's, ama- that's amazing. <laughs> um, so that was really fun. Um, so yeah, I was totally into theater. I loved, <laughs> doing that i went on actually with uh, a friend of mine um we we did this uh like improv group for a little while that was like post high school but um but yeah yeah i was really kind of like into the theater scene a little bit in high school and um yeah i really enjoyed that so yeah i was i was i think i was fairly outgoing it's just that i was into a lot of weird obscure things so it was you know, such as skateboarding, such as like the music and stuff like that. I mean, those were, music's always just been a fundamental part of my life. And it's just, I think it is for so many of us. And it's just, um, some people are just like fair weather listeners. I'm just, I'm fucking listen. I, I just immerse myself. And, um, and so I think some people were, had, you know, kind of find that little like hard to take and digest. And, and I get very passionate about certain things and, um, well, yeah, you, so, def- yeah, you, I, I, you definitely you definitely strike me as a person where you're, um, you know, the 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 temperament I think of most people that get drawn to subcultures are people that get obsessive over stuff. You know, it's like your average, you know, whatever typical high school person. Like, yeah, they may care about you know, um, you know, football, or they may care, you know, they may like know all the players, know the stats and stuff like that. But you know, like we're we're going like seven layers deep on stuff that is like you know irrelevant to most mainstream. <laughs> culture (laughs) perspectives and so like there's that obsessive nature that i think exists that kind of goes hand in hand with you know whatever subculture it is like you said whether it's like skateboarding music whatever that may be it's that like you're not just scratching the surface you're like yeah so i'm gonna like live and breathe this thing and i'm going to exist in it i'm going to like you know take baths with it i'm going to like (laughs) do everything with it yeah (laughs) and it's uh totally and and it, it is alienating because a lot of people are just like you know, probably like, and maybe rightfully so, or just like, Hey, calm down. Like, you don't need to like be that into it. It's like, no, no, I do. <laughs> it's like, well, okay. <laughs> maybe that works for you, but not for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there, there were those people who were, you know, obsessed with certain sports and things like that. And I got it, you know, I understood them. It's just that, you know, aside from that mutual obsession with something, we didn't have anything in common. So it's just, you know, it was just about finding those people, you know, and, and a lot of those. And, and, and so I would say back to your point about saying like, were you reclusive or were you other? No, but I, but a lot of my friends were, 
Right. I mean, I had one friend in particular who had to drop out of high school because he was embarrassed by something that happened, you know, and like, I mean, it was just like, you know, I don't know, you know, at the time, I, I mean, I, I'm a fairly empathetic person and I, and I feel, I feel everything, whether it's, and that's like a good and bad trait to have because it's like, it's very, feels very burdensome almost like it's like a self-imposed, yeah. you know, it's like self-imposed weight on your skull every, all the time. But, um, the, the point is, is that, you know, I had to seek those people out and I had to like be extroverted enough to go and like introduce myself and say, Hey, listen, I, you know, and then so a lot of my friends were more of what you're talking about. I was probably less so, but, um, I, you know, I definitely liked, I, I liked the energy of being around others and, and I enjoy it still. And, but yeah, I do need, to, I do need to have my alone time, but I think that's the majority of us. Like we, we, you know, and then I, I think, you know, I remember touring quite a, you know, when we were touring quite a bit in the nineties, I would, you know, it, it, I would go play and then I would mean to like be by myself for like an hour. People would want to talk. Where's Dave? And, I, and he's like, I would just leave, you know, cause I was just like so drained and I needed to go like go recharge. And I'm so, but some people can just be on all the time. And I, I'm just one of those people who like, I have to just go and like fucking like crawl inside myself for an hour and like, Right, recharge. Yeah. Right, recharge the batteries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I just before I like go and like talk to somebody. Right. Although there was, so yeah. I mean, I've had you know, but but at the, the same time, I miss out on some some pretty deep, meaningful stuff. And like, so I, I'm just gonna, I, I just gotta jump into this one because this thing has been, this thing is, this is probably one of the most like, like out of body experiences I had when on tour, but. So was, we played in Syracuse, which was essentially our second home in the nineties. And, um, it was, it was an odd, it was weird how it all worked out. But every time we played Syracuse, even in this last little tour, it was just phenomenal. And, um, they're just, they're so, there was just something about Syracuse in the nineties that was, was, uh, it was like an epic. I mean, it was, uh, it, there was an epicenter. I mean, like there was, it, people, yeah. the the lore of that city in particular, because it, it was just weird. Because there there was no there's no big city feeling to Syracuse. It's very much like oh yeah, it's just one giant suburb, but like a working class town and not like an affluent suburb. And then it's just weird that the, all of that stuff sprung up from there. And you know the fact that you would hear about it yeah. all across the country. It's like oh yeah, Syracuse. Like yeah, the the New Year's Day show or whatever. It's like that just was part and parcel. So I understand what you're saying. Yeah, and I think it was like actually after one of the New Year's Day shows, we we had worked our way up the ranks of that thing and finally headlined it one night or something or one, one of those New Year's shows or maybe it was just another tour altogether. But I just remember this kid coming up to me and I, I spoke a lot about, um, I had a great, super, super dear friend who, who, who uh, uh, committed suicide in the 90s and, and um and he was a kid. He was a guy I knew from high school. And anyway, I wrote a lot about that and in our songs and, and hints at it, hinted at it. But of course, the song lament is that song. And, and so, anyway, the point being is, I um, this kid comes up to me after the show is done, and I'm just sitting on stage, and I had said, you know said a few things to some other people, whatever. But this kid, this kid came up to me and said, I was. He told me he was going to kill himself. But he didn't because he hurt because because of what what I wrote. Yeah, that's huge. And I think that that was uh, sorry. 
getting a little <laughs> no, no. emotional, like I said about it. But it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, that, that was it. I, I was like, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I can't like, you know, like this kid just essentially like, you know, if there was one reason I'm doing this, it's, it's, to, it's to, it's to connect. It's to somehow connect with somebody. And this is, this is that example. And this is, this is it. Like there is, there is nothing else. Like this kid's life is the most valuable thing in the world. And he didn't take it. And he, he, he decided that he was, he wasn't going to do that. And he was going to like seek help. And, and, and so we talked for like an hour and a half after the show. And, uh, it was just the most emotional. It was probably the most emotional time I'd ever had playing music by far. Um, most, you know, that's the way it, like, I mean, not playing it, but like but the reason for it, um, that I didn't even know, you know, I was just like, I was expressing myself over my pain about what had happened and, and, and my, and my, uh, and my real, uh, struggle at loss. And, and I just, and I, and I still, you know, I, I don't understand, you know, I, I could never imagine what it would be like. In me, I just never, you know, I just don't know what it's like for somebody going through these things, but to have somebody talk to you about it in depth and, and, and just having a deep conversation about this sort of thing. But it was at Syracuse, it was in Syracuse, and it, it's, uh, it blew my mind, and um, I'll never forget it. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think he, 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 like, went off, like, and did some, like, awesome stuff. And anyway, um, yeah, I think he wrote me... Mm, years after that had happened and said he's in college or something like that or whatever younger guy but i mean i was well out of i mean yeah i would um yeah anyway no, that's super that. Yeah, yeah. No, no. well, well I, that, that's just <laughs> incredibly powerful um not only to you but then just the the notion that i think um you know many people have in regards to you know playing in bands and starting to put you know, you don't, you know, I use this term because we can retroactively look at it as such, but like, you know, when you're putting your art out in the world, um, you know, you don't, you don't think about it in those terms. Like, you're just like, oh, dude, we wrote a cool mosh part and like, you know, here's this song and like, yeah, it's meaningful. I'm, you know, exaggerating here, but the, the notion that that stuff affects people and you have no relationship with them beyond the, you know, one-sided nature of them consuming your music and then once it's confronted to you you know that can be overwhelming emotional everything that you you were just describing but at the end of the day that's why people put out what they do you know whether it's painting what whatever it is it's like that connectivity that yeah. makes you feel less alone and um it's just awesome when you actually get to you know have something tangible beyond be beyond a person giving you positive feedback for the set you just played and you're just like wow like i guess if I didn't exist. If this song didn't exist, like this person may not exist. And that's like, that's incredibly moving. So yeah, I appreciate you sharing that dude. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, uh, I've just been thinking about that. And in every so often I think about those times, um, you know, in, in, in retrospect and, and I just think they just really helped, they helped ground me in, in, uh, in, in the notion that, that life's too short. And I'm like, I mean, it's a, you know, cheesy phrase but it is it's like and we you know you can see by the nature of how many people have like died in the past few years and, and whatever else and whatever other bullshit's going on on the earth um but uh it, it it's it's like you know we, it's so easy to get lost in the, in, in the mundane and, and uh and to get upset about 
this small shit and, and, uh, and it's just, it, it's, uh, it's overwhelming and, and, uh, all the other shit that's going on. So yeah, it, it's easy to kind of like go into your little, into, into your little purview there into your little like 360 at that moment and, and say, this is what I'm going to be angry about now. And, um, but yeah, I, I think that there's a lot to be said for, let's just enjoy uh, what we have when we have it and, and as we have it versus, you know, looking to the, you know, I, I'm all about like thinking about the future and planning, but I'm at the same time, you know, I think these, what we have in the past is so, is so tangible that we sometimes forget about it and we don't apply it and in, in ways that are smarter and let ourselves live more positively because of those things. And, and we sort of just are always thinking about what's next yeah. and, uh, and, and not what, what, what's happened and, and how we, and how are we, how has that affected us? And how is that, how is, how am I, uh, you know, how does that relate to how I am, uh, outwardly projecting myself now and, and you know, and things like that. So I don't know. There's just some, you know, that again did not expect that to go there but um no, <laughs> anyway yeah well that's that's the beauty of a conversation you you sometimes you sometimes never know where it's gonna go but the uh yeah, oh my god no no i but i appreciate it. i mean it's like that these are the moments in which you can reflect on certain things and kind of you know put things not only in perspective for yourself but yeah you know i i, I i'm glad we're here <laughs> yeah. snakes zombies sharks heights Speaking in public, the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. Oh boy, we have another favorite of mine that's hanging out with us on the show We're hanging out with Casper today, and Casper, if you are not aware, is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. They've got three models now. They have the original Casper, the Wave, and the Essential. Casper mattresses are absolutely perfectly designed to soothe and cradle your natural geometry, right? Did you ever think you were a math problem? Well, you are. Not to mention, the breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulates your body temperature throughout the night. And it's delivered right to your door in a small, seriously, how did they do that, sized box with free shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada. The best part is that you can be sure with your purchase that you get 100 nights on this thing. And if you don't like it, you can return it. And after all, you spend one-third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. Now, honestly, I have a Casper. This thing is incredible. The box is unbelievable. You, you, know, you take it into your bedroom. You pop it open. springs to life toss it down on your 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 box spring or wherever it is you're sleeping and then you get on it and you're just like oh my gosh like i yeah i 
I'm never, ever, ever going to sleep on anything but a Casper for the rest of my life. And uh, my wife also was like, okay, like, I don't know, maybe I'm a little skeptical because, like, you know, usually you go to a mattress store. And I was like, we're not going to a mattress store. It's a terrible idea. She laid on it and was like, oh, my gosh. And she is a hot sleeper, which means that, uh, you know, she runs hot. And this mattress has done incredible, incredible wonders for that. So anyways, start sleeping ahead of the curve with Casper. And you get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash words and using words at checkout. That's casper.com slash words. Offer code words for $50 off your mattress purchase. And of course, terms and conditions apply. Casper, I love it. You'll love it. Sleep better. All right, now with the show. You know, your lineage as far as, you know, playing with, you know, local bands like, you know, Pillar and Rain and like all the stuff that you were involved in. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But the... (laughs) The, the, you know, the, the notion, oh the notion of you, um, you know, getting involved in like, you know, singing was very much, you know, by sort of default where it's just like, oh yeah, like you don't play any of their instruments. So, you know, here's Dave, I guess he can just yell. Um, was there ever, mm-hmm. you know, as you started to, you know, become very active in the scene, like, did you have, I guess, visions for stuff beyond just, you know, playing in bands and everything? Like, I know, obviously, graphic design is a is a passion of yours. Was it one of those things where you were kind of just like, oh, yeah, this band stuff's awesome, but like, you know, it's really like not, you know, not based on any fact that I'm going to become a rock star or anything like that. Um, you know, but how, I guess how did all that stuff kind of congeal in your head? Yeah, um, yeah, when I, I mean, like, like you said, you know, when I think a lot of people know and they've heard, heard and or read about this and like that I started off doing this, this really by happenstance. I, I was always, I was always drawn to doing like, even, even in, even in lip sync bands, I was the front man. Um, but, uh, I mean, we did a, like in high school, I did a, uh, this band, uh, that did a gangrene cover. Uh, but it looks things and it was hilarious. Nobody knew what to say. We had, we had cardboard amps and we just knocked that shit off and we just like light lit one on fire and then got, and then got, and then I had to spend a week at home because I got detention and, or uh, what was that? What's the thing? Suspension and stuff. And anyway, all that stuff happened, but you know, I was always drawn to that. And I, I think, but I, uh, but it sort of just kind of fell in my lap and then it, but it, it was, always just this outlet and it would never yeah like you said we never we started harvest in a living room me and eric and we're like let's just he had i think he had a a broken leg at the time he'd come back from colorado recently and so he's like you know sitting with a broken leg in our in my living room and and we're like i really liked him and so we just kind of started this thing because we both just had a passion for for the scene and, and for the music and stuff and um in 93 it was and and then we uh and at the same time he and i were both kind of on different paths with very but, but similarly rooted in the discipline of design um, i was more of a traditional graphic designer he was a, he was started off that way but then went to more typography uh and type design and he now owns like uh this amazing uh, type studio called process type foundry um here in minneapolis too and but he uh so he went his one he went one way and he went and i went the other way in the sense but we were still doing harvest at the time all through the 90s and then at a certain point um you know harvest got to the point where it was kind of as big as it was gonna get and we thought anyway 
and or I let's just say I personally I kind of thought it had plateaued and it was just there was I sat in a room with the guys and we had this conversation very frank conversation and I had this I had um during harvest I had been working both at the university where I was going and then I had uh gotten into an agency my very first agency and uh design agency and I was really excited I was doing some cool stuff but I was still touring and we're still writing the trend like uh the one step closer seven inch and stuff and I I started to just lean more towards I just started to have just more of this like idea that like I wanted to see where design could take me and the music was taking me where I wanted it to go at the time and it was great but it wasn't there was just a big there was a greater need in me to like see what I could do with design and see what I see where I could go with that and I think that 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 and unfortunately locally it didn't there wasn't a lot going on at the time or at least I wasn't networked enough but I this is back when monster.com like actually worked um, and it was like a, a thing for like tech and coders and designers and stuff and um, so I just put my stuff out there and then all of a sudden I get a call from New York saying hey do you want to we've got a project do you want to do you want to interview and so I I flew out and I interviewed and I um, I got the gig and um, and uh, so it was just a, it was just like a six month project but the point was is that I had this opportunity to go do that. And so I had to make some really like hard choices at the time. And it was, so I sat at, everybody sat in the room and we, we hashed it out and everybody, uh, you know, those people who, I think we all agreed that it was like, this is it. Um, we, we, we are at this, like, we're at this, we're at the top of this thing that we're out, we're on the top of this ride and we can either go, we can go further and see where it takes us and, or we can just call it. And, uh, and, and my, my vote was just to call it. And I, and I, and I wanted to take this job to New York. And so I wanted to see where I could go with that and where that would take me to on whatever ride that was going to be. Um, and so that was, you know, that was a hard, hard choice to make, but I, I also wanted to end harvest on a big note. And I knew that the, the one step closer seven inch was like, to me, probably, I mean, I love the God Complex record, but I, I thought that the, I, I thought we had reached like, I wanted to go out on a high note. Let's just say that. I never thought we'd ever play again. Right. And that was, but I really wanted to go off on a high note. And I thought that this was like, if I'm going to do it, this is going to be it. And, um, and let's do it right. And that's when we had our, you know, show with Nora, Disembodied and Bane and stuff like that. And that was, uh, that was awesome here. And there were like 3000 plus people. And, um, and it was awesome. And it was, uh, I'll never forget it. But I, I, I chose to, yeah, to see where, where, where life would take me in this realm. And yeah. And I've been, you know, I've been pretty happy. I, I, I did that. And then I, uh, I went off to, uh, start my own little thing for a little while and I worked at my own studio for a little while. And then, uh, yeah, now I work for, you know, pretty, I work for a huge agency now and, and design. And I, I, uh, or, you know, I work with, you know, customer experience and design and stuff like that. But it's, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy it. Um, that's right. I've been doing, doing it for a long time and, uh, and I love it. And, but I will, I'll, I'll still never stop playing music and I'll still never stop thinking about it and wanting to do it even when I'm not doing it. And I've been a number of years now since 
this other little thing that we were doing, which is some, uh, some of the core members of like me and Dan uh, from Harvest, uh, we're, we're, we're doing called City of God, and, and we have five songs. Um, all the music's done, essentially. Well, I think Kevin's do guitar, but uh, and this is Kevin Call, and he was also in se- you met Kevin. He was in Season of Fire, and then yep. he was also uh, uh, in the Good. Uh, he was also in Comeback Kid, mm-hmm. and the Good Fight too. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so he's got yeah that kid. He, yeah, he's awesome. And so anyway, uh, but he needs to record his guitar, and I need to finish my vocals. But we have five uh, songs which I'm really really proud of, and we need to get those out to the world. So um, we'll see what happens and when that happens. But nice. all yeah, that's cool. Um, but drums, drums, Dan and uh, the bass are all done. So yeah, nice. Um, a, f- a few last things I want to hit on before I let you go was the um, y- something I found interesting about you know from the whatever ninety six to you know early two thousands bands in the you know whatever metal slash hardcore metalcore thing. It seems like there was you know one or two songs from bands that you know really kind of propelled them to a higher level of you know just basically being nationally recognized and being able to tour and that sort of stuff and you know clearly epicure was your song where it was like you know everyone puts on their mixtapes and all that sort of stuff um like you know and then even you know when we toured together and with season of fire and you know you you did that as a sort of you know encore last song sort of thing um it uh like did you kind of recognize that as well i mean in regards to like not only the fact that you knew that epicure was kind of you know your your most popular song as far as a crowd reaction was concerned but like i don't know i just i just really noticed that happening where it was like you know bands that did have that song or two all of a sudden you know i I wouldn't put it the same way as like you know radio airplay but like yeah you know the the quote-unquote singles popped um did you kind of notice that yeah, yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, that was, and it's funny because, like, I, I mean, I love that song when we, when, when, uh, when that song was written in the, in the, in our practice space, I was just like, what is that? Like, how did, how did that even, like, yeah, it was, I, I can remember standing there and my jaw dropping when Eric started playing that riff and I was just like, okay, kill me now. Like, that was, that's the greatest thing. And then, you know, I mean, Papa Roach did it a little better. But, um, but, uh, but no, I, uh, I think that it was, uh, yeah, I, I think that I, I had a kid come up to me and, uh, at we, Chris, I met Chris and Matt at the black blue bowl when judge did their first reunion show. And this is, and there was this guy, I met this guy and he's like, he's like, Oh, you were in harvest. He's like, he's like, I would watch a whole set of you doing Epicure ten times in a row, and uh, it just made me laugh. So, um, so yeah, it was uh, it was kind of one of those things where I feel like if we just did a forty five of that, we'd be man, oh, that would have been fine. But, um, but instead, we have to play all these other songs too. So, um, but but Ray, forgive me. I you know I, I don't know if this it just does I, you know, to me it's just another one of our songs. But yeah, I think it's a good one on it. But I think I think it's it's quite. To be honest, it's quite flattering that, like, so I guess, uh, you know, Chokehold saw this band in uh, Fluff Fest last, you know, just this summer, who played Epicure as, uh, as a song. So I was like, there's still, it still holds some relevance to some people, and that's, that's interesting. And, you know, that's, that's awesome. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm, you know, I think it's, you know, it's cool that people still want to listen to it from time to time. So, yeah. yeah, no, for sure. It's cool. Um, 
the uh, you know the thing that I also noticed was you know because Minneapolis and you know that the Twin Cities area you know became such a, a you know a vibrant scene of you know bands like you guys Threadbare you know Disembodied you know Code Thirteen like so much random stuff came from that area and you know it, it, yes it was attached to a college and you know those cities are you know bands do come through on tours there and they're you know it, there's a reason. It makes sense that a scene pops up there, but you know, for all intent and purposes, is that the the scene was also isolated by the fact that you know you guys were so far you know north from everything else, and it wasn't a easy routing up there in regards to bands playing there and stuff. Um, I, I guess did you know as the scene started to you know grow into maturity and you guys had more places to play, like did it feel like there was something special, or was it just one of those things where you're like, oh cool, like more places to play? Like could you recognize it as it was happening? But yeah, we could recognize it growing definitely because there was a there was a more younger generation. So like, so there was like me and like a couple years younger. Like, cause it got, think of the time frame as well. Like, I mean, there, there's so I come from southern Minnesota, and Minneapolis was actually like for me it was very special to come up here and see shows. Um, and, and so I would like friends and I would like get in a car and like go up and we'd go see. We, we would basically go to the, what was called the seventh street entry. It's a small venue next directly next to first Avenue, um, which is the big Prince club. And, um, anyways, we would go to like whatever was there. Um, and it wasn't like necessarily, we wouldn't know what a band might sound like, like seeing the band inside out. Um, they have no seven inch at the time. I think it came out like following it, but like they played with shelter and quicksand. And, um, but it was like, who, you know, like we didn't know right. who these bands, we didn't know who these bands were. We just showed up because it was called the hardcore matinee. And we were just like, we're going like, check this out. Like, and four one one at a, at a house, you know, and things like that. So that was like our, kind of our, the, the, the upbringing, was seeing these like pretty infamous acts now, pretty legendary. But at the time it was just like, okay, we're just going to go see this band. And they're wearing a, they look like a bunch of skaters and we're going to go and, and they're playing some pretty heavy stuff. Cool. Um, and you know, we, you know, little did we know that we would, you know, we were, we were basically witnessing, you know, some of the, like the, you know, like hardcore staples, um, you know, I mean, Daniel Mahoney, for instance, you know, it's just like, it's, it was, it was so awe inspiring. And so I think that like the fact that bands like went out of their way to come here and I would, and I owe a lot to like Felix on Havoc and, and like, and, and, uh, and Jason Parker who did THD records. Um, I was, I lived at the THD house and where I got to witness a lot of stuff when that was like pre harvest, pre even crap it maybe, but, uh, and he, he put out the judge, uh, the, uh, chunking can suck it 10 inch. Um, and, uh, but he had a lot of connections and, and like, so like four while falling came and played our basement clutch played our basement. Um, uh, these kinds of bands would like just like show up mean season. Um, it was awesome. And so that was really, the more bands came and the more there were houses, to promote these bands, the larger our scene got, the more interested, it, the more interest there was. And we had, luckily enough, we'd had the foundational, we had a lot of foundational bands, uh, where a lot of the members went on to do like Threadbare, for instance. And, uh, 
Um, you know, and, and so there was always music going on here. It's, but it, it's always kind of found its way to be a little different. And there is, there is, there is no placing, uh, any sort of like label on any one band per se, um, that, that came out in the late eighties, early nineties. And, and I, I really, I think that we never took it for granted. Uh, and if we did, I, I don't know, I don't know in what, in what way, but venues were, uh, you know, there were bigger, there was that bigger venue, like I said, seven street entry. And then there was the smaller house shows and things like that. And it, and it's, you know, to give its history is, is like a, a long conversation, but like, the point is that I think Minneapolis, Minnesota in general has had a very unique point of view, not to say others, every city doesn't, it's just this one is the one I know and love and, and, and now, and, and I came from, and I feel like, you know, there's influences of all these different things, but there's no like, and, and we all co played together. Um, but there was, and there was just respect for each person's take on what they felt was alternative music. And, and that includes like Scott and Oi and whatever else was going on at the same time. And it was just like there, you know, whatever wave or whatever, whatever genre had come into the mix at the time, it was all really well respected and all played together harmoniously. And we didn't have a lot of like infighting and like a bunch of that, like a lot of that shit that you would hear about in other cities. Um, and, and I think that there was just a tremendous amount of, uh, there's just a tremendous amount of talent that, that came out and a lot of tremendous amounts of like points, that, like just really great points of view. Um, and, and people were really open to sharing that sort of thing and a lot more just dialogue. Um, we, we were, they were, you know, a lot of bands just talked a lot in the nineties. Yeah. Um, we, you know, half our set was half our set was like talking. I remember spending like 15 minutes talking about like my experiences in Yugoslavia, um, before playing the song one-on-one to the university of Winnipeg. Um, and there were 400 people there and they just listened. And it was so nice. Like, yeah. um, it was just like, they were just like, they were into it and we had, and we had dialogue afterwards about what, you know, and things. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> that was just normal. And now of course it's a little different, but, um, just don't talk. Um, but, uh, um, but anyway, the point is, is that like, I always felt the city produced some pretty unique and, uh, pretty like, yeah, pretty interesting. Yeah. It, um, it, I mean, it, it, music. it totally, I mean, I think it, it's, I just love it when a city can, um, you know, have an identity that is, you know, wrapped up in all of these disparate music scenes, but they all kind of come under one umbrella of being like, well, yeah, this is like just kind of the independent music scene and like everyone's kind of doing their own thing. And yes, of course that happens around the country, but then certain scenes kind of have these, you know, focal points and bands kind of colliding all at one time. And that's when, you know, you're able to, to see that and notice it. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's cool, especially from an outsider's perspective like mine, where, you know, I, I only played a couple of shows up there, but it was just like, oh, wow. Like, and it's cool because even after, you know, the original bands that, you know, started the scene break up, you know, most of these people stay active in some respects and are playing in other bands. And then you start to see their new bands pop up and it's just, you know, it's cool because the legacy lives on in, in a very positive way, not in just like a, 
oh yeah like you said a geriatric way you know Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, I, I think there's a time and place for, for, uh, you know, for let's just say reunions and things like that. But then there's also, there's also this like, so for me, and I'm just speaking personally, but like, you know, there's, there was a time and place for Arvis to do certain things. And it, like after we had said, Oh, we're done. And then, and then there's, and then there's the future. And then there's like, you know, then there's like then the now, like I want to do something that I haven't done before, or I want to do something, you know, um, you know, that may sound like just about everything else, but, but I want to do it because, you know, I feel like I still got stuff to say and I still got a, you know, I still feel this validity and like playing this because it's, it's entrenched in me and it's, it's, it's ingrained in my heart and my, and then, and in my head that, that this is like, if I don't do this, I kind of come apart. And, and so I, yeah, so I'm, I, you know, will continue to play music for as long as I'll, my, my uh, structure allows me to. So, (laughs) uh, you know, I, I just, you know, it's just how it is. And, and I, you know, whether Harvest gets asked to play somewhere or like, you know, we'll, we'll probably do that. But it, but if not, we'll, you know, all, we're all actively trying to do something new and different and yeah. And we all, you know, I'm not going to stop doing that. Yeah. That's, so. that's really cool. Um, one last thing I want to hit on was the, um, you know, and I don't know if you are interested in talking about this, but you know, I think it's kind of relevant based on the fact that, um, you know, all the other uh, topics we discussed was, you know, the bike accident that you were in because, you know, that that's obviously not uh, something that you know is covered on hardcore news websites and stuff like that. But um, oh, for fuck's sake, yeah, yeah. I suppose. But I mean, you know, that that was a pretty you know severe thing that you went through. Um, I don't know if you kind of wanted to you know walk, walk through that and uh, you know talk about. Um, you know, your, your experience with that and obviously how it, you know, altered your perspective or, you know, made you think about things in a different light. Um, yeah, I mean, I, so yeah, for, I mean, for in purpose of context, I'll, I'll say, so I was riding my home, riding my bike, not home, but rather to pick up my son from, uh, from preschool and, and, uh, the, and then I, and then I essentially what I can remember was that that was the last thing I was crossing a street, I believe, you know, and then the next thing I know I'm, it's eight hours later and I'm in a hospital bed and my wife, I I see this note next to me and my, my, my wife and son are there. And and it says that I've been, uh, struck in the, in the, in the head. And at the time in Minneapolis, there was this guy, I believe it's a guy, whatever, but like with a truck bed filled with, would just throw rock or, or, or uh, cement blocks at, at cyclists. And I was, uh, and they were 90% sure that's what happened to me because of the way I was of my, due to my injuries and things like that, that I'd been struck and, and, and at the place that I was where it, where, where it happened was, was very protected from, was right next to the road, but very protected from uh, any sort of like line of sight. And at the time of day at which I was going, which is about one, 
about between 12, 30 and one o'clock in the afternoon. Um, so anyway, yeah. So from that I had, I have no memory of when I was struck to from the time, from the moment of impact to, you know, to that moment when I woke up in the hospital, I have no memory of that. So, um, other than just like feeling really confused and, 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 and insane, I, I guess I, and what had happened was, and I, this is, and I, I have no recollection of doing this, but I called my wife and I told her that I didn't know, like, I, I think I had maybe told her where I was or I like, I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing or something like that. But she had like, she went and go, she went and picked up our son and then brought me, got me, and brought me to the ER and I had been, you know, but I, so I, so for every 10 minutes I would wake, I guess I would, I would come to and I'd be like, what, what happened? So for like every 10 minutes for like hours upon hours, she would have to retell me the story because I couldn't retain it until eventually like it was, you know, eight o'clock at night when I finally like started to get memory back. So it was quite something. Um, and so from that, I had you know, about, you know, a few months, three to six months about for uh, uh, brain trauma. And so I had to go and I had to uh, uh, go to counseling or whatever it was, like sort of to, you know, and sort of figure out, should I read, you know, can you still remember this or can you, you know, uh, can you do this or that thing or whatever? But yeah, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a good experience. And, uh, um, it's, it's definitely made me a little more shy, uh, of when I'm cycling of certain, you know, knowing being more cognitive about unaware of where I am spatially, um, of where I bike, but it certainly hasn't like diminished my love for cycling. And I, uh, you know, I ride hopefully well, I ride almost daily, uh, depending on my son's schedule and my wife's, so but yeah, that's yeah, no, it's, uh, it's great. Yeah. And the only, the only reason I bring that up is just because it, it um, you know, people go through traumatic events, and um, you know, just the uh, the experience that you have when stuff like that brushes up against you is like, oh, like yeah, like anything can happen at any time. Like you know, I know it sounds so obvious to say that, but like you don't really think about it until it's like literally right in front of you. No, totally. No, no, it was definitely true. Definitely true. I mean, it could have been a lot worse. I didn't have anything broken, you know, um, but I, I mean, I had a, obviously I had amnesia and a deep concussion and, uh, you know, and I should really, you know, never ride without a helmet. And I had one on, but I mean, I should never ride with one without one anyway, but yeah. especially anymore. Yeah. Um, not, not good. So, um, yeah, the, that was uh that was more than intense so yeah absolutely um and the uh the the last the truly last thing i want to hit on was the uh, notion of um you know you you know having a family wife uh son and you know the ideas that you have you know brought over in regards to all of your upbringing within the punk and hardcore scene as far as you know politics and experiences and all of this uh you know the diy principles that you've lived your life kind of surrounded by you know how does that how do you feel that kind of impacts your 
you know, view on, you know, being a dad and that sort of stuff, just because, um, you know, I mean, I'm asking selfishly because I exist in the same <laughs> framework as yeah. you, but I, I just, you know, I, I always like to have that perspective from, uh, you know, others who, uh, have the same experience. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's really for, for me, it's, it's, you know, and he's, he's just, he's five and a half. He, it's, you know, he's getting into what he's, he's getting into. And I, you know, I just want him to make his own decisions. I, you know, he, he, you know, he often will come up with the, he, he often will come up with the, uh, with the question like, so I, I'm, I'm an atheist and, and so he'll, but he'll, we're going to, but it's up to him to decide, um, on, on that sort of thing. So I'll like, he'll come up and he'll say, Papa, what's a church? What do they do in a church? What's prayer? You know, like all these things, what, what's God, you know, these sorts of things, these sorts of questions and things like that. So, you know, I tell him and I, and I, and he's like, but why don't you do it? And I was like, I don't believe in it. And, you know, but, but, but you might, you know, and if you want to, that's okay. You know, because at the end of the day, it, it's not about me. It's about him and about what he wants. And so I hope that, you know, I just want him to have a point of view on it at some point. He's five and a half. So for fuck's sake, no, I mean, I can't expect him to have like, you know, he's, he's got his point of view on like, I like sugar right now. And I like, you know, he likes certain things and, and, you know, but he's of course asking a lot of questions about this or that thing. And, you know, he's very inquisitive and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I just want him to be able to make his own. I want him as he matures to, that doesn't apply to what, like in my life, you know, and, and, and me exposing him to certain things. I definitely want to do that, but when he's ready, um, and I just, you know, as we're easing into things, uh, as he matures, you know, I definitely want him to understand that, like, of like how I grew up and the music that I played and stuff like that. And he kind of, yeah, you know, I played some of that music for him and he'll run around the house going, rah, 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 you know, and, uh, um, which I think is really fun. And, um, you know, he'll, he'll do some, you know, couch stage dives and stuff like that for me. And, um, but at the end of the day, you know, he's, he's just mimicking what he sees or hears. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that, you know, maybe he'll, maybe he'll like it. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll not, maybe he'll like something like Taylor Swift, I guess. I don't know. A lot of youth seem to be into that. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. You, you're, uh, you're giving him the space to be the human being that he, uh, you know, he needs. Yeah. To he is. Yeah. I mean, no, but the reality is this, he's not, he has opinions on things. He, he, but he is, he is his own little, he is his own little being. And he is, uh, you know, he, he's got his opinions already on a lot of things and he's, but he's going to figure it out and, and stuff, but I'm not going to not let him know what else is out there. You know, it's, I, I think that like any parent should is like, yes. Okay. You're only, I want him to, see more than just what maybe the media shows him or his teachers or stuff like that. And I mean, I want him to know, you know, he, he seems to love art and he seems to love music. And so foundationally from at a five and a half, I'm like, thank you. Like, that's awesome. You, you, he wants music class every day. He just told us this morning, I believe. And, and rather than having gym and I'm like, hell yes. Yeah. Oh, well, that sounds amazing. I have, I want you to have music class every day too. And if not at school, why don't we have it at home? You know, and if like you want to have our class all the time, let's, let's just, you know, do more of that. And I think, you know, my wife is wonderful and she's with, you know, 
teaching him watercolors and mixing watercolors and things like that and like drawing with him quite a bit and uh and stuff so that just all of these things just like just watching him flourish and and, and just like letting him draw his giant spiders or his his son with many te- tentacles and you know it's you know you know how it is yeah no that's really really cool well, Dave, thank you for hanging out, man. This was fun. I uh, I, I hope I didn't uh, jar too many uh, emotional memories in there, but this was uh, I've oh no, very I, very good. I no, thank you, thank you. Uh, this was fun, and I, I uh, yeah, I had no idea I'd be talking about half this shit right now. So, but yeah, <laughs> my but thanks for having me, and I appreciate it, Ray. And, and uh, if all my fingers are crossed, that I will uh, hopefully see you in December. That was that, and that's what's up, right? For those of you that have listened to the show for quite some time, know that I have difficulty trying to figure out the proper words to get, get out of the interview and into the outro. But um, yeah, I, I I would say that's what's up because I thought that was funny. So anyways, thank you very much, Dave, for taking his uh, lunch break out of his uh, busy day and uh, hanging out with me. I was, yeah, I just love that. And so um, that's what we got for this week, obviously. And um, next week is Ryan Downey, a good friend of mine who uh, is, a, is a, a man about town because he has a ton of different interests from a podcaster, from a freelance writer, from a manager, from a vocalist of an incredible band called Burn It Down. He's, uh, he's just done a lot. And um, yeah, I had to have him on the show because he does... Um, I actually had a portion of the interview that him and I did, gosh, this was like three and a half years ago. And... Um, yeah, we talked for like an hour and I felt like I got nowhere <laughs> because we just, uh, yeah, we were just hanging out and uh, yeah, that didn't go anywhere. But this one was more focused and we got it done. So that's next week. And um, yeah, that's that's all I really got for you. Okay, so please be safe, everybody. And please, please, please visit my friends at movie.com slash words and you'll be able to get a 30 day trial. Please, you'll love this service. The movies they have on there are spectacular. All right. Talk to you later. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans... Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council.